This episode is brought to you by Darkstorm by author M.L. Spencer. Faced with the cataclysm that will destroy the magical heritage of their people, a secret conspiracy of mages resorts to harnessing the powers of the Netherworld to save their legacy. The only mages who can oppose them are Brayden and Quinn Reese, two brothers with a turbulent past and a caustic relationship, but both Brayden and Quinn are compromised, harboring terrible and tragic secrets. Will Brayden and Quinn be able to prevent the unsealing of the Well of Tears? Or will they fall victim to the Dark Mage's sinister plot and join their conspiracy? Dark Storm by M.L. Spencer Book 1 of the Renmore Saga The grimdark fantasy series The San Diego Book Review gives 5 stars and calls a thrilling read fast-paced and bitingly entertaining. Dark Storm by M.L. Spencer Fans of morally gray antiheroes, page-turning action, and mind-boggling plot twists will love this award-winning series. Get your copy at Amazon on Kindle ebook or paperback and begin the epic adventure today. The Strangeful Things Podcast is a funny, irreverent exploration of all things strangeful. You'll hear the stories you haven't heard before about the topics you love, including cryptids, ghosts, UFOs, serial killers, exorcism, poltergeist, cannibalism, the Bermuda Triangle, murder, monsters, malevolence, and more. Join your hosts, Acadia, Jen, Christie, and sometimes even B-Nev and Kenny, every week as they dive into the mystery behind your favorite mysteries by delving into the bizarre and fantastic to give you a listening experience unlike any other podcast around. The Strangeful Things Podcast, guaranteed to tingle your spine and tickle your funny bone. Download on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Find them online at strangefulthings.com or on Facebook at facebook.com strangeful. At the intersection of hilarious and horrifying, abnormal and paranormal, sensational and strange, you'll find the Strangeful Things Podcast. Subscribe today. This episode is brought to you by Ascension, the dark fantasy novel by author Matthew Johnson. Exiled and orphaned by war, Jared begins cultivating a new life protecting those he once saved. When a strange woman and child enter Jared's life, everything begins to unravel. A stronger, more powerful force sets the mechanisms of war into motion. Shadow casts over the land of man, and the gods prepare to battle for the fate of the created. Once more, Jared discovers himself a tool for the divine and must transcend his limitations. Ascension by Matthew Johnson Read the mythological dark fantasy novel of meddlesome gods and warring mortals and discover why sometimes love is not enough. Ascension. Rise with the gods or fall with the dead. Buy your copy today at Amazon on paperback or Kindle ebook. Find out more and get a free preview at MatthewJohnsonAuthor.com. This is author Raymond V. Feist. Hi, this is R. Scott Baker. This is Anthony Ryan. The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Delilah S. Dawson to the show. Delilah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is literary agent Mark Gottlieb from Trident Media Group. This is David Anthony Durham. Hi, this is Melanie Metters. Hi, this is Brian Stavely. Hello, this is Jesse Bullington slash Alex Marshall. Hi, this is Jeff Salyards. Hi, this is Michael R. Fletcher. The Grim Tidings Podcast proudly welcomes Steven Erickson to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward you're listening to the grim tidings podcast part two of our interview with anna smith spark
you mentioned uh, R. Scott Baker being a literary influence yeah. of yours, along with uh, Joe Abercrombie. Yes. Uh, as well. Who else have uh, kind of influenced your writing style? Oh, um, in some ways, my biggest influence is probably uh, Mary Renault, who writes. Um, she writes historical novels about set in ancient Greece. Her f- most famous one is the Alexander trilogy which is absolutely about trying to bring Alexander to life completely on his own terms. So in the first novel about him, um, Fire from Heaven, whether you know, his, he's, Alexander seemed to have believed, he believed very deeply that he, had, he was fathered by Zeus. And certainly, you know, he was living in a world where people believed in the gods very deeply. It was a very different, a very, very numinous world, a very different world to the kind of world we live in. So she writes that. She writes about, she doesn't write about, you know, gods do not appear in a blaze of light and start walking around and talking. But there's a sense that the world is sacred. There's a sense that what's going on is there's some kind of, there might be some kind of divine plan or there's some kind of divine kind of will behind it. Alexander believes very strongly that he's a god and there are kind of hints that, from his perspective, that clarify to him that he is a descent, that he is the child of a god. And it's, um, so she's creating the world, which is a totally different world from our own, without trying to rationalise it, but without trying to do the kind of David Gemmelly kind of, and then I'm going to actually show you, you know, I'm going to show you the gods. And that, I love her books. They're absolutely wonderful. And they had a huge influence on me. And also Mary Stewart as well, who does a similar thing with um, the Merlin trilogy, where it's like, it's very unclear whether... Merlin is actually a magician or whether he's just a very clever young man it's there's kind of people are Christians and for them there is Christianity is true and there is Christian magic and then other people are pagans and for them paganism is true and there is pagan magic and then as a modern reader you're kind of well there could be rational explanations for this or it could be the Christian god magic or it could be the pagan god magic because no one can say because how could you possibly say and again it's just creating a world that's very different from our own but which makes complete sense to people within their own terms but with also being quite a mysterious world a world that it's again it's very unclear kind of what what the there's no magic system there's no kind of the gods aren't kind of just bigger versions of people coming down walking around with a kind of developed pantheon it's all slightly it's all very mysterious and that I've read, I read those, I read those books fairly obsessively. And then actually, outside fantasy, probably the biggest influence, biggest influence of my prose have been kind of Nate James Elroy, who writes, he wrote some um, the novels that the um, LA the film LA Confidential was based on, which is LA Confidential is the film is really watered down version of um, the novels of the books, which are absolutely. Ex- extremely violent and again he they're full of you know they're vastly unpleasant the characters in them are absolutely appalling really awful kind of misogynistic rapists you know casual police police brutality racist profoundly homophobic and if you read them straight and people have read them straight and said you know thought and he's he does this kind of act sometimes in interviews where he presents himself and says, oh, you know what, I believe in all of this. But obviously, you know, it's a horrifying commentary on um, things like American police brutality and the kind of, you know, the brutality of the states. And his, he's deliberately writing a kind of alternative history in um, his, his writing kind of, he writes an alternative history of the Kennedy years, which is 
absolutely vile kind of absolutely flip the flip side of the Camelot myth. And he's doing it very knowingly to kind of present this absolutely extreme, extreme kind of vision of the real kind of the underbelly of police corruption, police and corruption of power and the kind of the horrifying nature of the state and state power. And his prose is just, his prose is just astonishing. It, um, so in White Jazz, the final one in his trilogy, his LA trilogy, in his LA quartet, sorry, he was, um, he was told by his editor it was 100,000 words too long. And rather than kind of editing it down and taking out some of the storylines, he edited out 100,000 words of what he considered to be an unnecessary words like of and the and is and said and kind of <laughs> so it just is this kind of in, in there are places where it's just these kind of nouns that series of nouns and verbs just kind of basically describing just kind of strung together describing extreme violence and kind of I've misogyny. seen you kind of do that in your prose as yeah, well yeah yeah no I read those but I read all of his books when I was a teenager I just absolutely burned through them all and they just they had such a profound impact on me the way he you know it's just so absolutely in your face just absolutely it's quite unclear at times quite what's it can be quite by the time you get to white jazz it's really quite unclear what's going on in places and um he had to kind of did have to kind of row back from that a bit because people were kind of saying no you just have no like the book kind of got panned in some places for being unreadable because you just really have no sense of what's going on in places but um and i I'm nowhere near as extreme as that. My agent looks actually power. My agent looks terrified every time I mention James Elroy. Um, <laughs> but you know, it is just absolutely. It is just him just evoking the kind of what it feels like to be kind of. I guess what what it feels. What it, he's trying. He's imagining what it would feel like to be a white policeman kicking the shit out of someone for no reason other than they're black, basically, and what what that might feel like, which is absolutely horrifying and just absolutely just. But you're there in that person's mind. It's it's horrifying and just astonishing in his writing, just profoundly astonishing that he can do that. And it, But, you know, it's not – you're not just kind of like, oh, this is gross, I'm just going to stop reading this book. It's just that absolute kind of attempt to kind of understand what that must – what is going on there. It's just amazing. Just kind of – well, that could be edited together to sound incredibly dubious. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just absolutely just kind of absolutely extreme limits of human behaviour. And trying to capture that in some kind of language, in language, trying to find some kind of way of conveying that linguistically. Is there anybody that's like too brutal for you? You're like, this is fucked up shit. Oh, I can't read um, this. What is this? See, what I find is when books do things like like that, but without, but just doing it straight. So um, this book I've been reading recently, which has a rape scene in it, and it's not that I have issues with a rape scene per se, but you know, you're like, well, what what is the point of this? There is no point to this. The only reason you're in this is just. There is absolutely no point to this. This is just, I'm not even going to say gratuitous because, you know, I, I'm completely aware that I write incredibly gratuitous violence that you did not, no one needs to read chapter one of Broken Knives. It's entirely gratuitous. There's no, it's not, it has no impact on the plot. It has no, you know, it's not, no violent, violence is always gratuitous. But, you know, there's nothing kind of, it's just boring. It's just a lot of kind of fights, uh, people who write kind of fight extreme violence and particularly sexual violence purely just to shock, purely just to kind of like, well, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be really, really violent here. I'm going to write something that's really violent. Not for any particular reason, not because they're trying to say anything or they're trying to convey anything or even they're trying to do anything of any aesthetic interest, but purely because, oh, I know this will shock people if I stick in a rape. That will really shock people. 
I just find that really just when it's done mindlessly, I find that really, really depressing. You know, so so I've just been reading I've just been rereading J.K. Huisman, who um his novel Labin, which is a kind of classic it's a classic account of Satanism. He was um he was writing in Fensec Paris. So he wrote um a book called Against Nature, which is kind of always held up as this kind of the great it's the book that Dorian Gray is re- reads in the picture in the portrait of Dorian Gray. It's um so he's this kind of he was a sort of decadent author in Paris in the end of the 19th century, the near 20th century. And Labat is his it's a novel about a man who is clearly just the author who's writing a book about Gilles de Ray, the French serial killer, who seems to have actually done the kind of stuff that really gross Hollywood serial killer murders ha- films have, where he seems to have genuinely killed and then sexually violated small children for the purposes of conjuring up Satan. So, and Labat is trying to explain, trying to sort of look at what on earth might be going on, you know, what on earth might be driving this person. He um, he was one of the, he was the Marshal of France in, um, he rode with Joan, Joan of Arc. So he was involved in Joan of Arc's wars against the English in France. And he seems to have gone from kind of believing deeply in Joan of Arc as sent by God and as this woman who'd been sent by God to liberate France from the English to doing the most indescribable things to young children. And it, and then when he was eventually convicted, he then repented and was kind of in the courtroom down on his knees, weeping and kind of screaming to God for mercy, beseeching God for mercy and kind of screaming that he repented and he was terrified of going to hell and he repented. And Kind of, and Eastman's is trying to understand what on earth might be going on in someone's mind to go into these, you know, to become, to do what he did, and then to gen- apparently genuinely feel intense guilt and remorse, and to genuinely talk about professing absolute love of God at the end. And to, he seems to have been believed there um, when he was ex- when he was he was burnt, and the priests seem to have been genuinely were praying for him to be redeemed because they seem to have genuinely believed that he had repented and believed in God again. And, you know, it's not, but that book isn't just some kind of gratuitous kind of description. It's it's barely actually described what it was he did. It's not some kind of just some gratuitous kind of, and I'm going to write something really disgusting, and I'm going to write something else that's even more disgusting, and then I'm going to write something else that's even more disgusting. It's, um, It's trying to understand, again, this kind of absolute extreme of human behavior and, and how one might respond to it. And that, I don't think I've ever read a book, a good book, a well-written book that's doing something interesting and thought this is just too much. But there are plenty of novels, there are plenty of things I've just read and thought, God, you know, this is just pointlessly misogynistic, pointlessly racist, pointlessly horrible, pointlessly violent, pointlessly whatever. I just cannot, I'm just not reading this. There's a lot of books I've given up. I've given up on books because they're just, of all genres, because they're just nasty without any real reason to be. Philip's kind of nasty. <laughs> nasty? <laughs> nasty. I mean, crime I'm novels nasty. are so like that. <laughs> so many crime novels are just mindlessly misogynistic. Oh, we'll just stick in some really disgusting sexual murder because in chapter one, because oh, people don't want to watch that. It's um, it's just pointless. It's just really is pointless because it's just oh, and then you in the end you catch this guy and he's bad and that's it. I mean, yeah, gee, great. Kind of whoa, some people, some men are bad and nasty, do nasty things to women. Who knew? Kind of. 
<laughs> I think uh, I think you know more about dark stuff than me and Rob. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm curious about um, your background in dark material, so to speak. Uh, you were a goth at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were you were featured in uh, some goth documentaries. Could you tell yeah. us about that? <laughs> Oh god, yeah, no, I was um I was um on the goth scene for age I was sort of on the goth scene and yeah, I um there's somewhere out there there's video footage of me being laced into a PBC corset um that was broadcast on national television in Britain. Um <laughs> awesome. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I was I was I was on the front cover of um the Whitby Gazette. There's a big Whitby there's a big fest a goth festival up in Whitby twice a year. And Whitby's the it's a little fishing town on the North Sea up in Yorkshire in England. And it is where Bram it's where Dracula comes to store in Bram Bram Stoker's Dracula. So um it's kind of a and there was this big kind of goth weekend twice a year up there and yeah I used to get really dressed up like massive PVC corsets and ball gowns and massive hats and huge boots and things and I was on the front cover of I was photographed in magazines and on the front cover of the local newspaper and things doing that and that when I wasn't writing actually I think about it I was actually putting a lot of my creative energy into dressing up which sounds quite shallow but you know it really was just kind of these huge Victorian style outfits massive PVC ball gowns and kind of and massive hats and jewelry and things and um which i don't do anymore but i still wear the shoes still got one of my shoes my famous <laughs> my famous shoes <laughs> so you're an ex-goth you know an, no I'm longer gothing it up yeah no i'm basically an ex-goth i still all wear black all the time and have my um my fat my bizarre shoes but yeah no i'm basically an ex-goth I was i've seen a lot of cra- crazy shoes that you wear yeah 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 my crazy con shoes yeah no i have my famous crazy con shoes what's your favorite what's your most, yeah your favorite pair of shoes Oh, well, I've, so, um, I've got a pair which are actually, I actually call them the broken knife shoes because they come out when I'm doing readings oh. at the, um, yeah, yeah, they've been on Facebook. They're the, um, they're black and then they've got, they're just covered in spikes. Um, oh, yeah, and yeah. they haven't got heels. They're a pair of the cantilevered ones without heels. And I, um, I kind of sort of based on, based on the iron throne, I kind of tell people, you know, these are the broken swords of my, these broken blades <laughs> are my enemies. I took them and fashioned them to a pair of shoes because, <laughs> Well, they, they look a bit like morning. If you imagine morning stars done as shoes, that's yeah. kind of yeah. That's badass. Yes, I do. I do love my shoes. You ever kick anybody in the nuts with those? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, you get you get a free you get a freebie for if you ever meet Phil. In yeah. Person. If you ever if you ever meet me in person, you get a free shot at my nuts. <laughs> Wham! <laughs> kick me. <laughs> Rob too. Uh, Rob too. Oh, I'm taking advantage of that. <laughs> I'm on it. I wanted to talk about two uh, briefly here. You've mentioned in a couple interviews before, but you know you're pretty accomplished um, um, in your education. You've got a bachelor's, a master's degree in fucking English, and uh, <clears throat> you uh, you're a novelist now. But you've actually had to overcome some adversity um, on your way to uh, publishing success. There, you actually have a um, Asperger syndrome. And dyslexia and dyspraxia, I believe is how Dyspra- you say that. Dyspraxia, yes. Dyspraxia, okay. Dyspraxia, yes, yes. Um, yeah, and I've sort of had mental health issues relating to those. Yeah, um, I mean, dyslexia. Most people probably know what it is. I um, I struggled to read and write when I was a child. I mean, people never believe this. I went into primary school actually to talk about being a novelist. Um, 
I was the last person in my year to learn to read and write. My right, I was so slow at learning to read. I was all the other children in my class had moved on to reading like proper sort of little proper children's books, and I was still reading those. Um, you know, those Jane and John, like Jane has a dog, John has a dog. I was still struggling with that kind of stuff when all the other, um, I remember really struggling to learn to read, and my writing. Now, my spelling was atrocious. My handwriting was was and still is appalling. It took me a long time to learn to write. My writing when I was a child was just illegible. I think, actually, if I didn't have computers, I would not be a writer. And, I, and yeah, but the dyslexia wasn't diagnosed um, until I was in my 20s. And same with dyspraxia, which is much less known about. It's um, No one can find anything good to say about dyspraxia. A lot of people say people with dyslexia have got are more creative. There's all this stuff about dyslexia is an incredibly creative thing it's the brain finds it hard to read and write because it's it's too, almost too creative your mind's just kind of leaping around um dyslexics are apparently there is some kind of statistical evidence dyslexics are more create likely is more creative than people who aren't dyslexic dyspraxia is just being clumsy so um i was always the last person picked for any sports team you know that kid in the playground kind of their arms flapped when they run they just they running over their shoelaces were always undone that was me I was just I'm really I, I can't drive because I'm really I've got pretty poor coordination I was always picked last for sports I was just oh, I really was I couldn't tie my shoelaces if you see me carrying a cup of coffee I will inevitably manage to spill the coffee all over myself I'm and um, I'm really bad at faces. If you come up to me a con and say hi, and I'm looking at you blankly, it's because I have no idea because my facial recognition is so poor. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I have that short-term memory issues where I do that. I'm constantly doing that thing where I'm standing upstairs in my bedroom, like, why am I upstairs? What did I come for? Why did I go upstairs? I have no idea. And then I'll go downstairs and five minutes later I went upstairs to get my hairbrush that was why I went upstairs and I'll go upstairs to get my hairbrush why did I go upstairs what am I doing upstairs why did I go upstairs <laughs> um, so yeah um and but none of those things were diagnosed until I was in my 20s and then when I was in my even later than that I was in my early 30s my psychoanalyst decided I sort of thought that I possibly the reason I'd spent my entire life basically telling people I felt like a complete freak and I felt different from everyone else and I couldn't understand how everyone else seemed to live in, seemed to think in such a different way from me and I just couldn't understand people was not because as 20 years of therapy had attempted to ascertain because I had huge issues, self-esteem issues and there was some kind of massive thing that had once happened to me that caused me to think I was unlike everyone else and I had these huge problems it was because I wasn't like many other people because I have Asperger's syndrome and that was a massive relief in my life to kind of discover that so yeah I mean I kind of I got through the whole of university and things without having been diagnosed as dyslexic dyspraxic or with Asperger's syndrome but it makes a huge difference to my life now to have those and I've, yeah I mean I've had mental health issues because none of those things were picked up and because it was extremely hard trying to kind of trying to honestly you know people really honestly people kept saying to me why do you think you're different why do you think there's something odd about you and I kept saying well, I don't know I just really I just don't understand I know people would sort of talk about well let's talk about your child let's talk about my childhood let's talk about kind of did nothing happen to me as a child let's talk about kind of and then in the end it turns out it was because I do have a slightly weird brain that works in a slightly different way to quite a lot of people 
Although I'm apparently, I suspect, um, I suspect there are more people involved in the kind of fantasy scene and kind of role playing and that sort of thing who are on the spectrum than possibly in the wider society, which is again possibly as part of the finding a tribe thing. Yeah, I've encountered several people that maybe they feel they're not confident in their writing because they have a disability or something like that. What would you say to people like that to encourage them otherwise? Carry on. I mean, there's so much, you know, there's so much technology now that can help people to manage. So, um, you know, my spelling is appalling. And as I say, you know, if I was, if I was writing in pen and ink, I, I would not be able to, I don't think I'd be writing at all. It would just be an illegible mess. And I wouldn't, my brain just, I would not, my hands just would not be able to keep up writing with the way I'm thinking. I look at kind of, you know, you look at people writing before typewriters. You know, I just feel absolutely amazed at, you know, those great 19th century novelists, George Eliot, who wrote Middlemarch, which is massive. It's massive. It's bigger than, it's thicker than kind of Ericsson, an Ericsson novel. It's massive. And she wrote that, she hand wrote that because, you know, she was <laughs> writing the Victorian, but she hand wrote that with pen and ink. Dipping to you know with virtually with a quill pen, it's just unbelievable when you think about that. Because I just I would be I would be basically illiterate in a pre-computer age. I think. Um, I mean, you know, I I got an agent with a manuscript where people spend huge amounts of time walking around in the burning hot desert, and they spend three weeks traipsing across the burning hot desert, and because um, it I hadn't spelt desert properly. <laughs> an agent with that manuscript <laughs> well you know burning hot dessert yeah <laughs> sounds good too <laughs> the city of soul lost is ringed by a vast impenetrable dessert <laughs> and i got an agent with that <laughs> you know it's kind of you know, spell checkers and things are wonderful but yeah i mean obviously people don't enjoy writing and reading again i did this talk in this primary school saying so, you know if you really really do not enjoy reading and writing well, bad luck, because um, your life's probably going to be fairly complicated. But, you know, if you don't enjoy reading or writing, don't do not do it. But if you enjoy it, just get through. If you write something that, you know, needs a huge amount of processing and needs a huge amount of someone else copy editing it to point out, you know, you have not spelt desert, you have not spelt desert right once in this entire manuscript and half your, you know, you've missed out huge numbers of kind of, I miss out words all the time. I miss out, there are loads of typos in the published book because I'm, no, I just make so many typos that some are bound to get through. Um, just get someone to copy edit and copy edit and copy edit for you. But it's um, and actually, you know, agents I think are pretty forgiving. But agents make agents and publishers obviously, and magazines and things obviously. You know, they want things to be proofed and to be well, to be properly spelt and grammatically correct, and not to be riddled with errors. Partly, nothing anything else. It's just a huge hassle. I mean, a lot of them are running on a shoestring it's just a massive hassle but um you know they they want something that looks like it cares looks like the person who wrote this thing cares and if you care about something you think it's good enough to submit to an agent or you think it's good enough to submit to a magazine for publication a short story or something or even if you think it's good enough just to make available for free on Wattpad or as a ebook just if you think it's if you think it's good enough that someone else should read it then you really ought to take the time to pay someone else to proofread it and correct do spelling corrections and things if that's something you know you struggle with but at the same time if you make people aware you know, i am dyslexic whatever you know it's i have problem you know i have problem i have manual problems i can't i have 
huge problems with typing or whatever, people are generally pretty understanding. It's if you just kind of, as long as you kind of make some kind of explanation, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm dyslexic. There will be spelling mistakes in this thing. I'm sorry, I have kind of physical mobility issues, which means my typing is pretty sloppy. Then people will accept that. As, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of trying to find ways to get around it. And not only did you land an agent, but you actually have the same agent as uh, Papa Mark, Mark yes, Lawrence. Yes, I do. Yes, yes. How did you snag him? Did what I was supposed to. I submitted to him. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, that was, you know, that was amazing getting Mark's agent. I um, It was a huge thing. I hadn't been reading fantasy for several years. I was in a really, I was in such a bad place about not being able to write, not write feeling I couldn't, feeling I couldn't write fiction. It got to the point where I really felt I should, I was in a really bad place mentally. I really, I found it, I didn't like even reading fantasy. I found even just, reading finding reading modern fantasy really difficult because it's just like you know these people have all written books and I haven't read a book and I got that kind of obsessive like I ought to read really you know I only ought to read great works of literature and proving books because my time on earth is finite so I ought to only read you know great great books of kind of great vast Russian novelists and things and um and then um I was walking through a bookshop and I saw the front cover of Prince of Thorns and I, I, mean, I just stopped my tracks. Thought like, oh my god, whoa, that is the sexiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and that book brought me back to fantasy. Awesome. Just read it, and yeah, and George, he lived up to the promise of his front cover. And um, yeah, so then to end up with the same agent was just, and to, you know, I approached Ian because he was Mark's agent, and I'd had some contact with Mark, and yeah, to have the same agent was absolutely just it was just amazing i had this the first conversation i had with ian was at work actually at work this is when um i was working on i worked for the british civil service i was working in pensions what's called defined benefit pension policy which is probably about the most boring part of it's like it's financial it's financial saving for when you're retired it's like it's financial service. It's it's money. It's legislation around money for when you're old and you stink of wee and you don't care. I mean, it's like the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was um, I was actually at work. I was sort of got. So I was, and Ian phoned me on my mobile. So I went and sat in the kind of breakout area of the office. And I was having this conversation with Ian at one point. I remember. I one point I remember really clearly saying to Ian, like, "No, no, Ian." No, 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 Ian. The scene, the scene where they kill the baby is really, really crucial. We have to keep the scene. <laughs> All these people, all these work colleagues kind of wandering around, wandering past <laughs> and having them. me just sitting there thinking, I'm talking to Mark Lawrence's agent about baby killing <laughs> at work in this office where we, you know, we all sort of sit around talking about pensions and retirement income for really old people. And um, yeah, it was just, just amazing. And then I got back to my desk. I sort of stood up and kind of announced, I have just signed with the same literary agency as Peter Ackroyd. There was this absolute silence. And all the people were like, Who's Peter Ackroyd? And went back to work. I was like, Yeah. <laughs> but now, of course, they've all read the book. So they've all gone and bought my book. So it's like, Oh my God. I, um, all my office, all the people in the office who now have read this kind of. Um, dark kind of howl scream right. of pain from somewhere deep in my psyche and they were going to kind of <laughs> now they don't really make eye contact with yes. anymore and tend to keep their distance yes 
Well, Ian Drury did a great job for you then. He got you a deal with Harbor Voyager and then Orbit in the U.S., so that's very cool. Do you like your cover art as well? I do. I love both the cover, the U.S. and the U.K. covers. I I just love them. I mean, it's just amazing. And, um, and of course, because Marith um, in Court of Broken Knives is, he is the love of my life. He is, oh, he is, he is my dream guy. And there he is on both covers, U.S. and U.K. covers. And, oh, it's just, it's just, you know, I love those covers. I absolutely love them. They're both gorgeous. I was actually bizarrely scared again because I'm a because I'm a because I'm a female novelist. I was scared they'd try and make it kind of girlify it a bit, and they really didn't, which is wonderful. No, it's not girly at all. No, <laughs> no, very impressive. Yeah, yeah I got the uh, UK version and I got the Orbit version uh, in the mail. Very impressive. Yeah. Uh, and then you faint me and fill in the back. So. Pretty awesome stuff. Yes, and I um, yeah, I've, actually, I've seen the covers for both UK and book, and US books too now, and they are gorgeous as well. They're absolutely gorgeous. Well, we are damn near two hours of recording we are, time. Yes. So this is definitely going to be a two part episode for sure. Um, but we are going to finish with a little game here, and then we'll uh, plug uh, any future projects or landfall. Yes, we will definitely yes. talk about landfall. Yes. Um, I think we'll we'll do that post fun game yeah. so we can kind of tease that because okay. that's a that's a big deal that we're going to be doing on the yes. podcast as well and this is the first time anybody's going to hear about right. it so it's pretty pretty cool um but philip and i are going to do play the fun game because we always like to play fun games yeah. with the people that come on our show because it's fun game fun it's a fun and exciting <laughs> thing to do it's a fun game <laughs> <laughs> well, well so tell us about the fun game today phil well, I'd like to do a mini version of uh, Anna's suggestion of what is it? Mary Slog, Smog, Mary Snog, Snog, Snag, Snog, Mary Snog Kill List from the Grim Dark Community. No. <laughs> oh no. Okay. How about no. from? She's gonna kill them all. From just not from just from my fucking head. I'm just gonna throw <laughs> numbers up, uh, names out, not numbers. <laughs> Okay, so let's play a little short version of this. Just a couple of people. Mary Snog Kill. Mary Snog Kill. A little Mary Snog Kill. How about Tyrion Lannister? Oh, see, Tyrion. Tyrion. Oh, he's like. I mean, he's the he's the hero. He's the ideal husband. I just I don't understand why why Sansa doesn't fully embrace the fact she's married to him and why he's. He's witty. I would marry him. He's witty. He's intelligent. He's the only sane person in the entire fucking series. Um, <laughs> plus, you kind of get the distinct impression he's damn good in bed. You might be four foot. <laughs> Jesus, you get the impression. <laughs> he knows how to please a woman. <laughs> so I'm married to Tyrion Lannister. Glowing review for Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's go back a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Drust the Legend. How yeah. about Drust the Legend? Oh, <laughs> oh no, Kill. He's 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 a hero. He's just oh he's too nice. He's nice. Nice. Okay. <laughs> let's uh let's go to uh, Iliad territory. How about okay. is Odysseus in the Iliad? Isn't he in that, right? Odysseus is in the Iliad. Achilles is see Odysseus is really boring. I have actually I have witnessed virtually people coming to physical blows about this. Would you sleep with Achilles or Odysseus? Um, really? What? Be Achilles or Odysseus? Oh, yeah, this is the kind of thing we used to do at university. Um, yeah, so um, Odysseus is clearly the guy you would probably want to marry, really, because he comes through, he has the happy ending, he's, um, he's intelligent, he's, he survives, but he's just, again, he's boring. He's like, he survives. He's, he's 
he's nice. He's the hero. He's decent and decent. And he all he wants to do is get home to his wife because he loves his wife and he respects his wife and he wants to meet his son and he wants to just settle down and be happy. I mean, Achilles all the way. Achilles is Achilles is one of the other great loves of my life. But Odysseus is just kind of nice. He's just he's just boring. You probably want to marry him, but he's not. Um, he's not exciting. Okay, Rob, you got a name. Yeah, how about uh, Kellis from uh, the Second Apocalypse? Mm. Oh, see, I don't like Kellis. Naya, I would really, I would, I would, I wouldn't marry him, but goddamn, I'd spend the night with him. But Kellis is, um, he's just, no, he's, well, he's not even the hero, but he's just always, always, no, he's sneaky. He's no, he's not. I don't like him at all. I don't <laughs> like him. Ever um, the consult? Um, I think various people will know that I have a slightly disturbing fixation on the consult, which um, deeply upsets certain people. But um, hi, Quint. Um, but yeah, no, the, the consult. Uh, kind of, uh, I'm kind of team consult really when it comes to the Second Apocalypse. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Black let's go old school then. Man, Let, I mean... Let's go, uh, Frodo Baggins, Mary Snoggerkill. Oh. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. So again, at parties, I have, again, I remember people like when the film of the Lord of the Rings came out. I remember people having fights about Aragorn. Were you Aragorn or were you Team Aragorn or were you Team Legolas? And I remember a friend of mine saying, "Frodo, you just want to corrupt Frodo. You just look at that little innocent little boy's face. God damn, you want to do things to him that will make." <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so. Oh, he's just so innocent. Just... <laughs> okay, let's. Uh... Let's do one more. Let's go back to Game of Thrones. How about the Queen of Dragons, Daenerys? Oh, um, actually, no. Yeah, I mean, she's hot. I mean, how could you possibly not? <laughs> how could you turn down someone who's the mother of dragons? I mean, kind of. <laughs> Truth. I mean, okay. Well, has to Gary in. They're just, oh, they're, they're just, they're just awesome. Yeah, they're all pretty, pretty good-looking folks. <laughs> All right, unlike me and Phil, let's go on to the uh, game that I've called Knife Party. Let's okay. have a party with knives. Yes. We're gonna dig deep into your grim mind and see how how you could describe uh, various violent scenes with <laughs> with various knives against various <laughs> opponents. Uh, feel free to explore any possibility you choose. Uh, I'll give you a few options. I'll give you an opponent, and then I will give you a sort of knife, and then you can describe how you will dispatch this opponent. Okay. So number one is your opponent is a dragon, and you must dispatch it with a butter knife. (laughs) 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 Ah... See, I'm now good. Unfortunately, I have some really, really unfortunate connotations with butter um, because of. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> that, <not> with it. <laughs> the first thing that comes into my mind is um, the free association of um, Marlon Brando and butter. Oh, um, God. yeah, I'm reckoning a butter knife actually um, <laughs> is probably going to be at the wrong. <laughs> Dragon's going to have a fairly vulnerable spot, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Into which I shall insert said butter knife. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. I guess that's oh, like God. getting kicked in the nuts with the um yeah. <laughs> with your sheet. Okay, let's go with let's go with number two. So your second opponent is a uh, horrible, spitting, nasty troll, and you must defeat it with a Swiss Army knife. You'd oh you'd use that little device for getting stones out of horses' shoes because that kind of ah. 
yeah that would that i'm sure that would work somehow because that yeah i mean stones are trolls have got relationships to stones so yeah no obviously i'd use the little device in a swiss army knife for taking device taking the stone out of a horse's shoe because that would somehow say out of a horse's shoe that would somehow work because trolls have got connections with stones mm. and because yeah. i'd actually finally get to use the little device for taking stones out of horses too <laughs> <laughs> it's useful it's actually useful. it's actually useful okay let's go with the next one um a werewolf is your opponent and you must dispatch it with a uh, run-of-the-mill butcher knife. Oh, that would be... Werewolves are just boring. I just behead it, because werewolves are boring. <laughs> <laughs> no werewolves in book two or three. No, then, they're I boring presume. things. No, okay. They're boring. Okay, how about next one? A witch with a knife that is used for filleting fish. How would you fillet fillet a witch? Fillet a witch. witch. Fillet a witch. I, that sounds pretty I, good. I, Gutter like a fish. I'd should be flapping around. I um I have a line in the book somewhere about flapping around like a fish. And I would just I would gutter like a fish. And actually someone so there's yeah, there's a joke about someone killing someone, filleting someone with a fish knife as well. Yeah, so I know all about killing people with fish knives. Oh. I'd fillet her like a fish. Okay, last one. Uh you have a gang of thieves who are attacking you and you must dispatch them with one of those little knives that people use for peeling fruit. I don't know what the fuck it's called. <laughs> Peeler. Fruit peeler. <laughs> Ooh, I peel them. I flay them. I'd... Ooh. Yes, that would be. Doesn't that always come to mind when you're like you're flaying a potato? Or is that just me? Flay a potato. Just, okay. Yeah, you're flaying a potato <laughs> when you're sort of peeling fruit is, isn't it? You're flaying fruit and vegetables. Make make its skin out of <laughs> make a cloak of its skin. Potato skin. Next okay. thing you think about that next time you're meeting those um like um jacket, you know, those like crispy dipper things potato skins that's like that's flayed potato man that's like yeah that's <laughs> yeah we went Crisps. to some dark territory today and <laughs> yeah we did flayed I'm depressed. potatoes is pretty dark <laughs> well that's the end of Brutal. the night party you win Yay. Yay. <laughs> you win <laughs> fun game okay well let's yeah. talk about briefly about uh, upcoming projects for you and we'll wrap wrap up the show here so let's talk a little bit about landfall it's a big new Kickstarter. It's going live on the first of September, and yeah, please back it. It'll be the you know it's the most it's a really exciting sounding project. And also, if you want me to eat next year, please back it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a collaboration between it's kind of um, Grim Dark Magazine, Grim Tidings Podcast, and Dirge Magazine. So it's got Rob Nathaniel involved. It's got Adrian Collins, Grim Dark Magazine involved. It's got Jinx Strange and Dirge Magazine involved. And then the writing team includes me, Mike Fletcher, Jess Bullington, who um, also writes as Alex Marshall, Crown of Cold Silver, Richard Lee Byers, Angela Meaden. And we are doing a kind of, it's sort of open-ended shared world serial. It's based on, which is basically a posh word for saying it's kind of tag team writing or kind of, you know, it's sort of, we're writing different episodes. It's working on the model of a television series of different episodes. It's kind of a grim, dark, and horror blend, which um, anyone who's read stuff that me and Mike particularly write will not be entirely surprised about. It's, um, I, I mean, it sounds really interesting. It kind of American colonial or kind of Australian penal colony elements with kind of dark fantasy and occult horror. So it's not straight epic fantasy. It's kind of, I kind of like to think of it as kind of an epic fantasy version of something like Jamestown maybe, or, you know, sort of like epic fantasy. And then there's a Blair Witch involved as well. It's kind of, it's got weird kind of nasty occult sort of, well, it's got the kind of New England, you know, sort of Lovecraftian vibe kind of going, that kind of weird 
kind of colonists on a new shore and there's that there's a dark forest and you know there's there's things out there and you don't really know what they are but it's also kind of got it's a fantasy it's not kind of realist history and I think we're going to you know, really go to town with some of the kind of horror elements I think anyone who's read Broken Eyes or anyone who's read anything by Mike Fletcher we're oh it's going to be fun writing some of the kind of weird dark fancy and occult horror kind of elements it's been going it's been they've been building it for ages the world building document has been going on for ages it's um it's been over a year people have been developing it this really complicated world building which us authors are then probably just going to totally trash um and go to town on (laughs) i think there's hope for getting kind of some of the kind of guest authors to do death episodes as well yeah i mean it's kind of i'm told i need to use words like disturbing unsettling and suspenseful which um again i'd like to think most of the stuff i'm writing that would probably apply to um it's just going to be i mean it's going to be fantastic we're all everyone involved in it we're, we're all working really well together as a team i think it's just going to be going to be really really exciting to see how we all go with it and where we all run with it and yeah so it's launching on the first of september as a kickstarter and it's going to be work coming out in installments there's going to be artwork involving um sean king who many people here probably know and pen astrid she does she does a lot of kind of fan art for mark lawrence but she's also you know she's a really talented artist so i mean it's a really really amazing bunch of people to be involved in i was so flattered when i was asked to join the team because it's just you know it's such an amazing list of names Mike Fletcher, Jess Burlington, Sean King and then Penn and Rob and Adrian Collins and Jinx Strange and people it's um it's just the most amazing lineup it's going to be it's just going to be so much fun seeing where we all take it and all the different directions we go off with it and kind of and just I mean the world building document I've seen is just amazing and it's just it's going to suit my writing and Mike's writing and Jess's writing so so well it's just going to be fantastic and the artwork I've seen from Sean it's again kind of you know the mix of sort of high fantasy and kind of New England kind of witch stuff and witchcraft and colonial sort of American colonial stuff it's just oh it's just beautiful it's just it's such an interesting kind of idea it's such an interesting idea I mean that idea land for people kind of reaching a new world and what is out there and it kind of I guess that kind of I'm quite interested in kind of post-colonial stuff as well the kind of what is out there well it's people who are fucking pissed off about the fact you've come there claiming you own it i've just been actually been reading bury my heart at wounded knee which is a sort of an attempt to tell the story of the conquest of the west from um the native indian native american indians point of view and that kind of slightly post-colonial reading that post-colonial reading of kind of people that kind of of what colonization means it's going to be oh it's going to be absolutely fascinating the kind of politics we can go with it as well and the um the kind of the horror and the kind of gothic horror and kind of new lands and things oh, it's, just, it's so exciting and i'm so pleased to be part of it and yeah it's launching on the first of september so look out for more stuff about it going to kick off september 1st we're actually going to have a podcast interview with the creative team behind that it's almost like a grim tidings baby yeah when you think about it because we've had a dirge magazine on the show we've had grimdark magazine and they kind of joined forces and got all these cool authors in on the project and i'm very excited about what landfall has to offer yeah. so be sure to subscribe to the podcast and we'll have an episode debuting when that kickstarter launches for the landfall serial fiction series it's going to be kick-ass and i'm really glad you're yeah, involved no, it's going to be fantastic i mean adrian i love grimdark magazine the quality of the writing and that the quality of the sort of stuff adrian does is just going to be and jinx is jinx strange from dirge magazine is um just i mean he's something else he's so he's so sort of political to take it line he takes on things it's just it's just going to be fantastic the people involved in it are just the most stellar team of grimdark and 
kind of dark fantasy people. It's just, it's just going to be fantastic, and it's, it's going to be. Yes, I say it gets funded totally within like a week, a week or something. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to be totally. So it is going to be something slightly different because it is this kind of colonial, slightly New England or slightly kind of Australian penal colony feel, which is that kind of that sort of slightly kind of, kind of gothic horror. It's going to be. Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be test us in different ways and just be fantastic. I think there's lots of ways me and, um, particularly me and Mike, can write about um, diseased bodies and things as well, which is just, oh, I can't wait to get stuck in. I just can't wait to get stuck in. <laughs> landscape, and, landscape and weird diseased shit bodies. out there and diseased bodies. Oh, my God, man. I just can't, I can't, can't wait, wait to get stuck in. <laughs> Exciting. So, And then you've got book two is with your publisher. And so that's done. Yeah, I'm getting the edits back any day now, which is slightly terrifying. And, um, yeah, book three, I'm about a third of the way into and it's okay. been book three has been really hard to write because it's kind of it's the end of the trilogy so it's kind of um, and I know where it ends and it's it's like saying goodbye to these people it's just heartbreaking knowing that it's kind of it's so it's it's that kind of it's kind of like Christmas you spend so much you know I was really looking forward to like and this is the end this is the end and it's the same as with a book you're like I really want to reach the end but I don't I don't want to reach the end I don't want it to end <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to write it I don't want to get to the end any other short fiction pieces that oh, coming up or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, um, there's a fantastic anthology that Petros at Booknest is putting together. He did um, Booknest did a big fundraising thing last Christmas, a book auction to raise money for Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, who provide medical support in war zones and kind of extreme disaster zones. So they've got doctors and Sort of nurse, doctors and nurses on the ground in Syria and in um, Sudan, and you know basically places where there aren't any hospitals because hospitals have been fucking blown up, and you know or they they go into like Ebola epidemics and things, and they provide frontline medical support there, and they just they treat anybody, they treat civilians, they don't take doctors without borders, they don't take sides, they just treat the casualties of war, um, and somewhat ironically this. Christmas Petros is putting together an anthology called The Art of War, which is epic fantasy with a war theme to raise money for <laughs> presenting doctors into war zone <laughs> to treat the casualties of war. Which is I guess it sweet. works, um, I guess. I guess yeah. it works, yeah. And I've got a short story in that. Um it um yeah, I mean I do war. I like writing about I like writing about war. It should be really and yeah. that should be really you know, it's such a Petros it's just amazing. I mean Petros over Christmas last year, he organised this book auction. You know, everyone else over Christmas last year, you're kind of like, oh, I could get up off the sofa or I could eat another mince pie. I'll eat another mince pie. And Petros was like, no, I'm going to fucking organise a book auction in aid of Medicine Sans Frontier. Um, I mean, Petros is from is Greek. Greece is one of the places that you know has <laughs> refugees, dead, drowned refugees washing up on the beaches there. You know, it's... Um, he's closer to the reality of what the fuck is going on in Syria and things. Um, and yeah, and he just spent Christmas last year. He's an amazing, you know, he's put, he's another, like you guys, he just puts so much into supporting the fancy scene and um, yeah, he's doing this anthology. It's just fantastic from every point of view to give fancy novelists more opportunities to promote themselves and give other people fantastic, give people fantastic new books to read and new authors to discover while raising money for charity. It's just great. And it's good shit. Really good shit in every possible way. It's good shit. Yeah, and kind of like three cheers to Petros for doing it. Um, yeah. yeah, and I'm also Hurrah, gonna, Petros. Hurrah, Petros. And I'm also actually going to be in Legends Three, which has just been announced on stories in honor of David Gemmell. Shut up. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to write something That's awesome. a bit nicer. I think I've probably got to write something slightly more heroic. <laughs> I've got to write something where the good guys win, possibly. 
but yeah so that'd be full that'd be cool as well so somewhere in that yeah i've actually got to write finish book three and amongst all these other things i've got to do but no it's really cool really really great i can get just do so much and get so much done at the moment and are you trying to write full-time eventually at some point i'm writing full-time at the moment actually i um treated myself to um I blew my advance on taking a sabbatical for my job. So at the moment I'm writing full time, which is fantastic. Um, I do need to go back to work because writing is not a stable income source. It's um, if I didn't have response, I, I'm, all, I'm really tempted just to resign. But I really, I just, I don't want to end up old and starving and desperately like kind of. I oh, once, twenty years ago, I had a book in print, and now it's. <laughs> I just can't. The bastard kept in print. I might. I've been able to eat this month, but um, no, it's not a stable income stream. But I'd love to be able to stop. I'd love to be able to quit completely. But yeah, now I'm going back to work um, at the end of the year. I need to keep awesome. working, maybe to keep keep the cynicism going. It's too nice to get home. I need to. I need to be around complete cynics in the office again to kind of remember the true depths of cynicism and despair. Make sure they listen to this uh, episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I'm on a podcast. Check it out. <laughs> So you are online at uh, courtofbrokenknives.org, yes. um, Twitter at, at Queen of Grimdark. Yep, and yeah, Facebook as well. And I'm really thinking about coming over to America next year to go to one of the big cons over there. I need some people to um, give me some advice on which would be what good ones to go to because I would love to come over to the U.S. to go to a con. But I need to get Awesome. Well, listeners listening, uh, jump on the Twitter at, at Queen of Grimdark if you know a good con that you yes. think Anna Smith-Spark should grace with her killer – Mace spike covered shoes. Um, take tweet the, her and let her know. Take yeah. the Phil challenge. Everybody, take the Phil challenge. Step up to the plate, get kicked in the nuts. If you don't, you're a fucking coward. Uh, that's awesome. Well, speaking of uh, any con appearances there in the UK coming up in the next month or two. See, by the time this is broadcast, I've probably done them all. I'm going. I'm going to Worldcon. Worldcon Helsinki. So I get if anyone, oh, nice. yeah, if anyone's going over to that, um, so that's um, yeah. So I'm going to that. I'm flying in on the Wednesday evening, unfortunately. So I'm flying in. I'm flying in on Wednesday the ninth, and then I fly out on the sun, Sunday the thirteenth in the evening. So I'm, I'm doing the heroic fantasy panel with Robin Hobb and um, Scott Lynch. So that should be quite fun. I, I didn't that's get the Grimdark panel. Cool. I got, yeah, I, I didn't get the Grimdark panel. I got heroic fantasy and how is it what still f- relevant and in a world of um, complete fucking shitness um so that should be and you have to fun. hang out with robin hobb and scott yeah, yeah, Lynch, so unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Oh. i met scott last year actually at fantasy con he was lovely but um but yeah and then i'm doing the um i always get the kind of diversity panels talking about politics and ranting about politics and disability and feminism stuff so i got them um and a signing as well which is really exciting Awesome. But, yes. So yeah, and then I'll be at fantasy con in uh, the UK in Peterborough in September and Bristol Con in October, which is only a small day-long con in Bristol in the UK, but a lot of people, people do fly into that, so that should be really quite cool. And there was a big, um, a lot of grimdark authors were there last year. Me and Luke Skull and Andy Remick were rather disgracing ourselves. I ate a banana live on camera. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh. Yeah, no, so that... Um, yeah, so um, and then, yeah, I do most of the UK, UK cons, and then I'm hoping to go out to America next year because that would be really cool, really, really cool. Definitely, eat an apple. Definitely, if you go to America, <laughs> eat an apple on camera. That's not quite as interesting to eat on camera, though, really. <laughs> eat, a, eat a kiwi. <laughs> Twelve-inch banana, kind of. 
Eat a strawberry. Eat a durian fruit. Eat a strawberry. <laughs> oh, yes, strawberries, yes. Uh, well, we like your, your weird brain, frankly, Anna Smith-Spark. You are awesome. The Court of Broken Knives, book one, Empires of Dust, is available in the UK now, coming out in the US August 15th. You should be able to buy it now, and we'll have the link uh, to Amazon in the show notes, so you can head over there right now and buy, like, five copies for all your friends. We give it the uh, thumbs up. Grimdark, Grim Tidings stamp of approval. So be sure to pick up a copy of that today. And it's been a pleasure taking up two hours of your time. Unfortunately, you weren't writing this, this and so you'll never get it back. But uh, we're so glad to finally get you on the program and spread the word. All hail the Queen of Grimdark, Anna Spitzbark. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Oh, on the show thank today. you guys. It's been really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Grim hugs. Grim yeah, hugs. hugs. <laughs> <laughs> You can find us online at facebook.com slash thegrimtidingspodcast or on Twitter at GrimDarkFiction. Download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you like this show, please share it and leave a review. And be sure to drop by our Facebook group, GrimDarkFiction Readers and Writers, for daily updates on all things Grimdark. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time.